Welcome to Awakening Divine Wildness, hosted by inspirational speaker and best-selling author, Mal Duane. Mal invites you to embrace your divine wildness with powerful conversations with visionary women. Listen in and learn how to move from pain and heartache to forgiveness and freedom so you can live the life you deserve. I am so honored this week to have this very special woman as a guest on my show. I learned a little bit about her through being in some wonderful classes with her and just listening to her wisdom in the groups that we were in. And I said, I've got to get this girl on Awakening Divine Wildness. And this week's guest is Uma Girish, and she is a grief guide who supports women that are grieving a loss to find a way to transform their pain into purpose. And that's what this show is all about. So it really just hits home for me deeply. She's the author of three books, Understanding Death, 10 Ways to Inner Peace, but the grieving, oops, excuse me, Understanding Death, 10 Ways to Inner Peace for Grieving was her first book. Her next two, Losing Ama, Finding Home, a memoir about love loss and life's detours, a transformational memoir. And her third book, which I am holding right here, Lessons from Grace, What a Baby Taught Me About Living and Loving, which was just recently published by Hay House. Uma is also co-founder of the International Grief Council and teaches classes and workshops related to grief, loss, and other aspects of living a soulful life. And her website is umagirish.com. Uma, it's wonderful to be here with you, lady. Oh, Mal, this is so wonderful. It just feels like a, a cozy chat with a dear friend. So thank you for inviting me. That's the way it's meant to be. I just like to connect, see where spirit's going to take us on this journey. And um, there's just so much beauty in this book. It is unique, the concept of your relationship with this small girl and the wisdom and the lessons that you learned from being with her was just profound. It's a beautiful story. And um, I had a favorite. My favorite lesson in here was about shame because it's such a huge issue for women. I mean, I think we all experience shame at points in our lives. And sometimes we recover from it and sometimes we don't. And we carry that wound for many, many, many years. And there was a quote in your book, which I thought was absolutely spectacular about shame. And it said, in order to deal with shame, some of us move away by withdrawing, hiding, silencing ourselves and keeping secrets. Some of us move toward by seeking to appease and please. And some of us move against by trying to gain power over others by being aggressive and by using shame to fight shame. 
like sending really mean emails. Wow. I thought that was the best description I have ever read about how we process it. We can try to move away from it and hide it and not tell our story and, and be ashamed of it or move forward or move against it. I mean, just so, so powerful. So tell us a little bit about Grace and the relationship you had with her and then how all these lessons started to appear. Uh, first of all, thank you for that enthusiastic shout out about the book. I'm really grateful for your affirmation of it. Um, so the, I opened the book um, with a prologue that speaks about how Grace came into my life. My friends, Chris and Tiffany, were expecting their first child, and um, they were in a confused state because they hadn't prepared to have this child. She sort of came into, came into being a few months after, after their wedding. So you know how babies have a way of upsetting our best laid plans? <laughs> That's what happened with them. So they came over to my place and um, in a state of almost panic, wondering what they were going to do. They weren't ready to be parents. And I felt guided just to tell them that this baby had chosen this time to arrive. This soul was ready to come here and they had no option but to learn how to go with the flow. Well, long story short, they invited me when she was born to become her nanny, part-time nanny. And here I was writing, trying to grow my business, um, my grief healing business, and watching a baby was nowhere on the horizon. So I just, you know, I was like, what do I do with this? Do I say yes? Do I say no? And the worst thing was, uh, Tiffany, the baby's mother, called me one evening and she said, can you let me know by tomorrow morning? Because if you say no, we're going to have to ask another, for should I not? And that night, both my parents, who were deceased by then, came to me in a dream. And I don't remember the details of the dream, but I remember waking up with the words, this is God's grace. And, you know, in that sleep befuddled state, I wasn't even sure what that meant. What does this mean, this is God's grace? And then it clicked into my brain, the baby's name is Grace. If this is God's grace that I'm meant to say yes. And so at that point, in that moment, I, I could never have seen a book coming out of this experience. I could never have known that this baby and I had a soul connection. I didn't know any of that. All I had was the dream, but I woke up in the morning and I said, okay, it's a yes. I'm going to say yes to them. So I became Grace's nanny and I watched her from... Well, I'd been in her life from the day she was born. I held her for the first time when she was born. And so all the way through until the time she was 14 months old. Now, going into work every morning to be this nanny, um, you know, I was in my 40s and not really pressured by the demands and deadlines that you typically have when you're a new mom. And you're really caught up in the, you know, I have the nap schedule and the feeding schedule and the bath time. And the, I didn't have any of that. I, I was just going in to be with this baby for a few hours. And I started looking at her through very different eyes. I would look at her every day and say, what are you here to teach me today? 
mm-hmm. because I was growing. I was becoming more spiritually aware at that time. And so I was very open to this divine being and the lessons she would bring me. And every single day she taught me a lesson. So when I left her home in the evening, I would just write down that one-liner in my journal. And each of those one-liners turned into a whole essay. And that is how the book came into being. (laughs) What's so beautiful about this is that the way you describe Grace, just her beautiful little soul, untouched, not influenced by parents, a free spirit, made me think about the way I was as a child, how I felt as a little kid up until about maybe the age of five, and then things started to change. But I felt that freedom and just not thinking that I wasn't good enough or that um, I had to behave a certain way to get love. I didn't know any of those things. I just was a happy camper. I played with animals. I had a wonderful time, judgment, perception, um, connection, truth, not to, none of that was even on my radar. And that's what's so absolutely amazing about this, that as you watched her connect with her environment, it gave you such magnificent lessons that we need as adults. There are so many beautiful ones in here. I mean, there are a total of 35 of them. So tell me a couple of your favorite ones that you got out of this by being with Grace. Like you, one of my favorite essays is um, on shame that babies come into this world not knowing anything but love. They have no concept of shame or despair or competition, none of that. So I love I love the essay on shame. Um, let's see, what, what is it called? I, feel, I have no shame. Yeah. And then I love the chapter, I, I have enough. It's all about abundance consciousness. Babies are happy in the moment. You give them a tummy full of milk and that's all they need. They subsist on very basic needs and they live in the moment. You give them a bottle of milk, they're happy, they go to sleep. They're not thinking, am I going to have more milk coming to me at dinner time? Or am I going, is the next you know, dry diaper available for me? They're not thinking about any of that. They're just living in the moment. And so for me, um, you know, the fact that we all came into this existence as babies, as pure beings of love and light, but we've forgotten our instinctive and natural connection to abundance consciousness, and we've moved into scarcity consciousness. We don't have enough. We are not enough. Something is going to be taken away from us. We have to do something to hold on to it. We grasp and cling to people and things. Um, So that is one of my favorite essays. Um, I have enough. Um, And then also, there's another one. I believe everything can be fixed. Right? To a baby, there's nothing that can't be fixed. There's an adult who's always capable of putting back together everything that is broken. This innate and instinctive belief in possibility, in wholeness, that to me, it just took my breath away. How she brought that little leaf to me and had 
asked me to fix it back to the tree. <laughs> <laughs> and thinking, you know, it's what's so beautiful is she's thinking you can do it. Yeah, I could do anything. I could fix yeah. anything in her life. Everything yeah. was possible. Um, I also like the essay where I talk about competition. Like a baby is never uh, looking at other babies in the neighborhood and saying, they've all grown three teeth and I don't have any. That one's sitting up. I'm, I'm still crawling. You know, they, they don't, they ha every baby has its individual milestone and no two babies are alike and no two babies are no baby is anxious about not having achieved a milestone that some other baby has achieved. We come to all this because of the monkey mind. And the monkey mind is, a, is an adult construct, right? Like we grew up and then we're taught that you have to be this. We learn transactional love as we grow to become adults, young adults and so on. If you do this, I will love you. Yeah. If, you're, if you're well behaved, then I will approve of you. We learn these messages very early in life and there begins, the be that's the beginning of transactional love and unconditional love is forgotten. It, it was a fairy tale, but this baby still lived in the space of unconditional love. And that is the essence I wanted to capture in the book, that we all came in like this, but we've been conditioned out of it and we can go back and reclaim that essence that's who we are that's our true nature so let's learn these lessons from the wisdom of a baby i say very often to women when i'm speaking to them or uh, that we arrive on this planet divine little beings a clean slate absolute perfection and then we meet our parents yeah. <laughs> and the story starts to change. It's true. Not that our parents are not good people, but they have their own stories, their own opinions, their perceptions, and we start taking on all that information that's now coming at us. We we start taking on their beliefs and and their patterns, and life changes. And if we could get back to the basics, the way that you've suggested here you know, how much better life would be. There was one very powerful thread that I, that kept appearing on my radar for me, and it was being present, being present. How a baby, Grace was always present. So, you know, when she had that little rattler, the multicolored little thing, that's what she was focused on. If you took that away and you gave her something else, then her attention was on that. She wasn't, you know, scattered and looking all over for different things. That's what we need to do. A lot of this is about just being in the present moment and just staying there and enjoying it. So true. And unfortunately, what we are doing is we are creating more stimulation in, in babies and children these days by flooding their space with more and more toys and games. Children don't need stimulation. We do that because we think we are adding value to their lives. We are actually teaching them to be scattered. The more stimulation we provide, the more opportunities we are providing for babies and kids to become scattered. So this idea that they need more and they need more color and fun and noise in their lives is just not true. Babies are innately content beings. That doesn't mean they don't cry, they don't wail, they don't have colic, that, that's not true. But innately, they, they're not in the space of I need the next thing and the next thing. They're not after the shiny object syndrome. 
That's us adults. We have the shiny object syndrome. Babies don't live in that space. So they can just be wholly with what is available to them in the present moment. So if we can just learn that lesson from them instead of taking that beautiful gift away from them, I think we'd all be richer for it. I totally agree. And I have five grandchildren under the age of nine. And what I'm seeing is they all have iPads. They don't have phones yet, but they do have the iPads. And I'm even wondering the impact of having those electronic devices so early. Even the three-year-old now is is watching programming or um, movies, Disney movies, whatever, on an iPad. I mean, we didn't. I never had any of that as a kid. I'm wondering what the long-term impact to their attention span is going to be by having these devices to entertain them and to keep them engaged. Yeah, I completely agree. I hear a lot of parents complain that they're struggling to um, you know, draw boundaries around screen time because that's the way the world is going. You can't have an absence of screens on the one hand, because we adults are walking around with screens. Let's let's face it. We are walking around with cell phones and iPads. We are communicating when we are on the go. We are emailing. We are taking pictures. We are texting our friends. So kids watch that. They watch that and they say, if you can have it, why can't I? And how are you going to answer that? So I think we need to be um, consistent with our own boundaries and then bring in screens because I don't know that we can eliminate screens. It's the way the schools are working today. You know, they're learning everything through the computer. There's not too much writing that's going on in schools today, as I hear. And so I don't know that we can eliminate screens, but to be really mindful and have conversations about the positive and negative impact of using devices. I think that would be helpful. What was the greatest personal lesson that you got out of all of this? What was the one that was like such an eye-opener for you on a personal level uh, that you learned from, from having you know, this relationship with Grace? I think for me, um, the best lesson and the most personal lesson was there's no rush. We have all the time we need. She would come to every milestone at her own pace, in her own rhythm. And that's the way it's meant to be. Even as we grow up and become these adults, somehow we buy into this idea that time is scarce. We need to rush and strive and hustle and push to get somewhere. But what she taught me and modeled so beautifully for me is that there's time and I will get to where I'm meant to go in my own time. And I cannot grow up on anybody else's timeline. My timeline is my own. And so I think about that even today when I approach my work. I have really taken on that lesson and I've made it my own. I don't hustle or strive or push anymore. Um, I work at my own pace. My pace is much gentler and slower than 90% of the world. There was a time when I had judgments around it. Like, why can't I be like other people? Why can't I get so much done like many others do? But I've learned now that I don't have to compete with anybody. This is my pace. I choose to honor it and I move 
at my own rhythm. And that was a lesson that Grace taught me. I know. I love the chapter where you talk about her learning how to roll over from her tummy. Yeah. And, you know, that uh, how she was resistant. And then finally, one day, she just she flipped over. She was doing it on her own. I also talk about, you know, how the pediatrician said you have to do this, help her do this every single day. And being a mother who raised her daughter in India, where we didn't have pediatricians say these things, I was like, why are we trying to get her to do something that she's not ready for? Mm. But I also want, felt the need to fall in line with the way things are done here in this country. But then Grace had an innate sense of rhythm. So she protested and she resisted every time we tried to do tummy time. You know, she had her own schedule and she was going to turn when she was ready. She would, she would flip over on the day when she was ready to do it. Beautiful. Now, you also do um, very deep grief work with clients today. And um, I think... That's also how we got involved in the um, the classes that we were in, is that we share the same teacher. How has the lessons that you've learned from Grace helped you in the work that you're doing today? You were working with seniors. You were doing a, you know, very deep grief work and helping people to uh, overcome loss and deal with the pain. How did the lessons of this young lady help you with that work? That's such a great question, Mel. Uh, let me think about how I want to answer it. I think stimulation, when you're grieving, the tendency for many people is to, I'm going to read the next book and listen to the next podcast and watch all these YouTube videos. And I always say, when you're in the space of loss, when you're grieving, you need to empty out instead of taking in. You know, let the tears flow experience the sadness, sit in that space of not knowing when it's going to be okay, when you're going to feel more normal. But this is not the time to overstimulate because your brain circuits are already fried. They're overloaded. And when you're trying to take in more and more and more information, it's just knowledge. But knowledge is useless unless and until you apply it, which is why so many people who read all the books and listen to all the seminars come to me and say, I know all this stuff. Why isn't my life improving? Mm. And the reason is because you haven't taken the time to experience what you've read or listened to. Once we read a book, if we can take one little principle or theory or exercise that the book asks us to, and we apply that principle to our life, and we, we are mindful and intentional about changing our lives, then we begin to experience a sense of peace, or we, we learn something new. But as long as we're taking in information, it's just information. It's, we're crowding our mind. That's all we're doing. So stimulation is something I learned from Grace. She didn't want to be stimulated when she was fussy or needed a nap or was you know cranky for some reason and I didn't I wouldn't always understand why she was cranky I didn't need to all I had to be was that safe container for her to just become fussy and find her center of calm and then drift off to sleep and I feel like we, people who are grieving need to to do the same it's it's like there's an upheaval a tsunami of emotions within you 
And instead of overstimulating yourself, looking for the next fix, looking to distract yourself, can you just find something that calms you, helps you come back home to your center? That is what is most useful. So that, that's a lesson that she taught me. Also, mindfulness. When we are grieving, um, you know, our, our head is crowded with so many different tasks, especially if the loss is of a loved one. You know, women are having to take care of the estate, you know, the, the clothes, what do I do with their belongings, their earthly possessions. Um, there's the will and they have to go to the attorney. There's so much stuff to look at. But is it possible for at least a few moments every day to bring your, your being back into the space of mindfulness? Can you just be here now? Every once in a while, we get pulled away by the demands of life. But can we come back to our center again and again and again, several times a day if necessary? So baby teaches you how to be mindful and live in the present moment. Because so much of the pain that I see in the women that work with me has to do with the past or the future. I wish I'd done this. I wish I hadn't said this. I wish he treated me better. All of that is in the past. And the future is about how am I going to survive this? Will I be happy again? Maybe I'll always be lonely. I'll never find a soulmate. Um, how can I you know, make my money last? Everything is about the future or the past. So I, my job is to constantly try and bring them to this moment and just say, can you be grateful for what's here right now? Do you have enough air to breathe? Yes. Have you had a meal? Yes, your tummy is full. Do you have a roof over your head? Yes. Do you have 10 bucks in the bank? Yes. Can we be grateful for four things right now? So that's, the, yeah, that's what I have to keep bringing them back to. So almost every lesson that Grace taught me, um, you know, there's one essay that's, I know what I need. A baby always knows what she, she would never drink more milk than she needed in the moment. And we don't eat like that as adults. No. We have a tendency to stuff and overeat, overconsume, overindulge. Um, and again, when you're grieving, if you can just know what you need, go within, go, go to your internal wisdom and say, what do I need now? Maybe the answer is a nap. Maybe the answer is pick up the phone and call a friend. You need to really um, share your heavy heart with someone who can listen to you. Maybe it is I need to journal about what I'm feeling right now. So as long as you can go back to what you need instead of what's the best way to deal with this and let me find someone who can give me a five-step formula. A baby never does that. She trusts her instincts. So can we trust our instincts when we're grieving? They work out so many things all on their own. It's fascinating to watch them. I mean, I have enjoyed having grandchildren and just how they interact, as you said, they just eat to a certain point and then they stop. They've had enough. And um, they never ask questions, you know, like, how do I get more? Or why does so-and-so have that? You know, when they're really little, you don't hear any of that. And then as they get six and seven and eight, well, why does Alice have that? And I didn't get one. You know, all of a sudden, the conversation completely changes. So this, I, I have to tell you, Uma, this was really a unique book, really unique, um, and just 
so well done, so beautiful. Just it's a beautiful read, and so I'm going to hold it up again, and I, uh, you know, hope the audience will take this and put it on their summer reading list because it's it's just easy reading. It's light, but it's it's beautiful. You walk away and you go, wow, you know, just it's a great reminder of how we should all be living. And almost every family has a teacher in the form of a baby in their midst. Yes. So, you know, instead of getting caught up in the how much I have to do for this baby, to take care of this baby and how drained and exhausted I am, can you step back and play the witness, be the observer and say, what are you trying to teach me today? What can I learn from you that I can use to improve my life? Beautiful. How can the audience reach you? They can find me at umakirish.com. That's my website. I'm also on Facebook and Instagram. Uh, on Facebook, I think my my the name my business page is facebook.com forward slash umarights. And my Instagram handle is at umagirish. And I follow you on uh, Instagram and the posts are just wonderful. Beautiful. Really Thank nice. Thank you so much, Mel. Thank you so much for joining me today. It's just really been a pleasure to connect with you. We've been trying to get this schedule for a while. And so I'm so happy that we're here together today. It's been just a sheer delight. Thanks for listening to Awakening Divine Wildness. Be sure to visit brokenopen-book.com to get a copy of Mel's new best-selling book, Broken Open, Embracing Heartbreak and Betrayal, as gateways to unconditional love. And for a limited time, you can get over 40 transformational gifts from Mal's launch partners. Claim all of this goodness at brokenopen-book.com.